Peace to you. Welcome back to The Naked Truth, and thank you for joining me. We're going to pick up where we left off in the book of 1 Samuel, and we've made it to chapter 20, if you want to read along with me. And um, should warn you, in case you're triggered by sexual things, especially same-sex type behavior, then you may want to brace yourself. So with that being said, let's begin with verse 1. Then David fled from Naoth and Ramah and went and said to Jonathan, what have I done? What is my iniquity? And what is my sin for your father that he seeks my life? So David is the same David and Goliath David. Jonathan is his, well, it sounds like a lover, but it's, um, it's it, it, we know it's his brother-in-law. He's married to Jonathan's sister, Michael, um, in the previous um, chapter. Um, and he's wondering, he's asking Jonathan, what's their, what's his father's problem? that he keeps trying to kill him. And we've seen where Saul, that's his father, the king, tried to kill David on more than one occasion, even though he got David to come there and soothe him by playing music for him. Suddenly he's turned on him because he's had a prophecy from the prophet, as he's called, Samuel, um, the religious leader of the people, who told him, told Saul that his time was up and that his uh, reign was over and that the Lord has already chosen a replacement for him, but didn't name who the replacement was. But Saul's putting it all together in his head with David becoming more and more popular. And it seems he's figured out that it must be David as his replacement. So he's been trying to kill him. Verse two. So Jonathan said to him, by no means, you shall not die. Indeed, my father will do nothing either great or small without first telling me. And why should my father hide this thing from me? It is not so. So Jonathan is in denial about his father's attempts um, to kill David, even though we've read several of the attempts already. He's tried with a spear, throwing it at David, trying to pin him to the wall with it. And he just happened to miss the couple of times that he tried it. And he sent delegations after David to his house to try and catch him in bed and even kill him in his sick bed. And that didn't work. Because uh, David's wife, Saul's daughter, Jonathan's sister, helped him escape, even though she didn't put the blame on David himself, rather than herself for putting uh, for helping him get away. Um, so he's tried to kill him. Jonathan is just in denial about it. And that verse reminds me of when, if you've read, if you've been reading with me before, or if, and if you've uh, remember, or if you've seen it on my website, hungtgirl.com, where I had to run in with my own family about um, different things. And I posted it there, the text messages there. Um, when that came up in my own family, I remember um, talking it over with one of my sisters and I'm, um, and um, she had some a similar um, uh, response that uh, Jonathan has. She just sort of dismissed it all that oh, my brother really doesn't hate me. He's not really out to get me. And I'm like, yeah, he hates me. He's out to get me. And even though she read the text herself and I had to um, break it down for her, for her to really understand that, yeah, it's hate. It's not love. It's hate. It's disguised as love because we're family, but it's truly hate. He really does hate me. And um, I, it, that verse just reminded me of that. How sometimes people um, can be blinded by things, by their own, how their own perspective of things and overlook some of the most obvious things that are happening. 
Uh, so anyway, verse three, then David took an oath again and said, your father certainly knows that I have found favor in your eyes. And he has said, do not let Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But truly, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, there's but a step between. Uh, so he's saying there's but a step between him and death. So he's letting Jonathan know uh, he, that his father's been crafty about keeping it a secret. Um, but in reality, his father hates him and there's nothing but a step separating David from death because his father's hunting his life. And that's basically the same thing I had to say to my sister, that my brother's been very, our brother has been very crafty. And when I say crafty, he did things like, uh, well, our big dis big disagreement was over me changing my name. Even though it's been years now that my name has been changed, he pretended like, oh, he's just so used to calling me my boy name, the name I was given at birth, that um, uh, the name change is just so drastic and hard for him to accept until, and it's in text messages, I broke it down how he's got like 10 other nicknames for other people who were born with different names, but he has no problem remembering their nicknames. And they're just nicknames that he chooses for them or that they've chosen for themselves. And yet, because I have a different name that doesn't match my gender according to him, uh, but although that doesn't even make sense either because we read in the Bible where Misha is the name of a male in the Bible. So it doesn't make sense for that to be it either. So it has to be something more than that. It has to just be homophobia, transphobia, hatred for me because of who I am and how I am. Nothing more, nothing less. And um, so pointing that out to her, and then I even had to bring up the fact that we I'd had that private discussion with him already, and he claimed it wouldn't be an issue. Um, just and If you've read with me before, you understand what I, why I'm saying that, because as a Christian, that's the approach Jesus tells us to take when our brother sins against us. And that's the phrase Jesus uses. He says, first go to them alone, one-on-one, -on -one, and try to get it and try to let them know one-on-one. -on -one. And I'm paraphrasing that, but you can look it up yourself. Um, and then if that doesn't work, then take one or two more with you that, the mouth of, by, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. So I tried that because we that was what the group text was about. And then he, Jesus says, if that doesn't work, then tell it to the church. So then that's why in the group text, and it's there on my site, like I said, I introduced the scriptures, what Jesus says about how you are supposed to resolve things since we're all allegedly Christians. And then when that doesn't get through, then Jesus says, it's fine to cut somebody off. And I'm definitely paraphrasing that. Jesus says, let them be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. And the thing about both of those types of people, heathens and tax collectors, they're people that you're supposed to avoid. You, um, or they're people that you generally avoid unless they come looking for you. Tax collectors, you don't go looking for them generally unless they come looking for you, unless they go looking for you. And same thing with heathens. You um, aren't supposed to be really hanging out with them either, except to share some light to them. So um, that's where he is in my book now. But she couldn't really see that or didn't want to see that until I had to break it down to her and explain it to her. And it's it's the same sort of situation that David is in with his uh, friend, I'll just call it a friend, or brother-in-law, Jonathan. Uh, Jonathan doesn't want to see the truth because probably because he loves both people. He loves his father and he loves David. So knowing that there's um, strife between them, it's probably hard for him to accept. But um, 
David's telling him that's what's up. He hates him and he's trying to kill him. And um, you just don't want to see it. Verse four. So Jonathan said to David, whatever you whatever you yourself desire, I will do it for you. So Jonathan is making it clear that he's on the side of David. That's who his loyalty lies with. Verse five. And David said to Jonathan, indeed, tomorrow is the new moon and I should not fail to sit with the king to eat. But let me go that I may hide in the field until the third day at evening. So they use the new moon as sort of like a calendar to know um, seasons and times, just like Genesis says, um, just like people do in modern times, but not to the same extent, or at least in different ways. So he's saying, wait till that third um, day when it's not a new moon anymore, basically. It's waxing fuller and fuller. He's saying, so wait until then and um, look for the, the signs. Um, let's see, because he's um, supposed to eat with the king on that new moon. He's saying, so he's going to miss that and wait and see what kind of signs follow with that by the third day after the new moon. Verse six, if your father misses me at all, then say, David earnestly asked permission of me that he, he might run over to Bethlehem, his city, for there is a yearly sacrifice there for all the family. So David is putting the words in Jonathan's mouth of what to say if his father approaches him about why David is missing from the new moon dinner. He's telling him to tell him he had to go meet with his family for a feast that they or that they normally have. Um, verse seven, if he says thus, it is well, your servant will be safe. But if he's very angry, be sure that evil is determined by him. So David is saying that's how you can tell where your father's heart is. If you tell him that David can't make it to the feast because he has a family affair he has to attend to, if your father turns around and says, oh, that's fine, then you'll know, okay, everything's cool. Your father doesn't hate him. But if he if he, <laughs> if he turns on, on a dime and becomes evil, angry about the whole thing, he's like, well, then know that for sure he's got evil in his heart toward him. He hates him, just like he's been trying to tell him. Verse eight, therefore you shall deal kindly with your servant, for you've brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord with you. Nevertheless, if there is iniquity in me, uh, kill, uh, for why should you bring me to your father? So um, David is saying that they've entered a covenant with each other. That sounds a lot like a marriage contract and it's, they're not literally married, but they have sworn an allegiance with each other. That's the covenant he's talking about. Um, and we, we've read previously that the love they have for each other is soulmate type love, um, where they feel like their souls are bound to each other. And he's saying that because they're under that covenant, because they have that sacred agreement with each other, he's saying um, if he's uh, wrong, then he should go ahead and do the killing himself. Um, rather than take him to his father and be killed. Um, but that I think what he's saying there is that he solemnly means to keep that covenant and that allegiance he has for Jonathan. Verse 9, but Jonathan said, far be it from you. For if I knew certainly that evil was determined by my father to come upon you, then would I not tell you? So Jonathan is letting David know, no, no, no. Far be it from you. If there was really evil intended towards him, he would have shared it with him. He would have let him know. He's not just um, uh, pretending like things are cool between them. 
but actually knowing that his father hates him, he really doesn't believe his father hates him. Verse 10, otherwise he would have shared it with him. Verse 10, then David said to Jonathan, who will tell me? Or what if your father answers you roughly? So David is saying, okay, do what I told you. Uh, let him know I can't make it to the feast and see how he reacts. And then who is it that's going to let me know his reaction? Verse 11, and Jonathan said to David, come, let us go out into the field. So both of them went out into the field. So the two of them have um, headed off into a field. Verse 12, then Jonathan said to David, the Lord God of Israel is witness. When I have sounded out my father sometime tomorrow or the third day, and indeed there is good toward David, and I do not send to you and tell you. So um, Jonathan is setting up the um, the um, plan or he's going to try his father, see how he reacts and let David know. So he's letting him know that watch for that time that um, the tomorrow or the third day, look for that. And he'll get messages to him one way or the other. And then he's, we're going to get into how. Verse 13, may the Lord do so and much more to Jonathan. But if it pleases my father to do you evil, then I will report it to you and send you away that you may go in safety. And the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. So Jonathan is telling him, if he's not faithful to the agreement to let his let David know that his father means evil toward him, then may the evil his father intends for David also be done to Jonathan. He's saying, but um, uh, I mean, if if he if if it turns out that his father means him good, if it turns out that Jonathan's father means David good, he's saying then let evil fall on Jonathan for not letting David know. He's saying, but if on the other hand, his father, it turns out his father is hunting him and hates him. He's like, then God be with you. God protect you. And um, God keep you safe is what Jonathan is letting David know. So basically saying that he's going to be sure to let him know one way or the other. Verse 14. And you shall not only show me the kindness of the Lord while I still live, that I may not die. Um, so um, more of the covenant that he's the the oath, the promise, the agreement that Jonathan is entering into with David here is that if it turns out, um, however it turns out, to remember to show kindness to Jonathan while he's still alive. And then also verse 15, but you shall not cut off your kindness from my house forever. No, not when the Lord has cut off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. So he's saying not only remember him, Jonathan, um, if it turns out that they, um, however it turns out, but also remember his descendants after him um, to protect them also. Remember Jonathan's descendants after him. Verse 16, so Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David saying, let the Lord require it at the hand of David's enemies. So again, this is the covenant, the agreement, the contract that they've entered into with each other um, to for David to protect Jonathan's um, descendants and, um, that, and that the Lord will require it uh, of David's enemies, meaning um, that the vengeance will be taken out on those who hate David um, rather than David himself. Verse 17, now Jonathan again caused David to vow because he loved him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. So this is not the first time they're talking about how they're, that they're soulmates. It's mentioned it before, 
But that's the relationship that Jonathan and David have. They're, they are soulmates. And um, you know how that goes in modern times, how that's thought of in modern times, it'd be this equivalent of lovers or um, something more than FBs, um, but not something as full as spouses, but soulmates, something really, really deep. Um, let's see, um, verse 18, then Jonathan said to David, tomorrow is the new moon and you will be missed because your seat will be empty. So again, they're using the new moon to help set the schedule. And he's agreeing that David's not going to show up there. Um, and it'll be noticed verse 19. And when you have stayed three days, go down quickly and come to the place where you hid on the day of the deed. And remain by the stone Ezel. So um, I'm not sure what deed they're referring to, um, but something must happen um, at some point at that stone, and that it's notable for both of them because he's telling him so that's where they're going to meet, or that's where he's to be on that third day um, to get the sign of what whether it's safe or not. Basically, verse 20. Then I will shoot three arrows to the side as though I shot at a target. So he's saying, this is how you'll know um, uh, the outcome of things. He's going to use um, arrows as the signal, um, shooting three of them as if he's playing, having target practice. Verse 21, and there I will send a lad saying, go find the arrows. If I expressly say to the lad, look, the arrows are on this side of you, get them and come. Then, as the Lord lives, there's safety for you and no harm. So he, what he's saying is if David hides out in the spot where he's going to shoot the arrows toward, if he shoots the arrows and sends the um, the um, boy, young man, the arrow fetcher, apparently, to go get the arrows, and if he specifically tells the, um, uses the signal words um, that the arrows are on this side, side of you, and that's going to be the signal to David that it's safe for him to return. So then he should get those arrows that he shot, that he's sending the boy to go retrieve. David should, David should just go ahead and retrieve the arrows and return with them because it means everything is safe. So that's going to be the signal for him. Verse 22. But if I say thus to the young man, look, the arrows are beyond you. Go your way for the Lord has sent you away. So he's saying, so the signal on the other hand will be, if he tells, if he shouts to the, the arrow fetcher that uh, the, uh, go your way, the arrows are beyond you, then it's not actually a message for the arrow fetcher. It's a message for David to hear and know. Um, and in case anyone else is listening, they'll just think that uh, Jonathan is giving the message to the boy fetching the arrows. But in reality, it's a message he's passing on to David to let him know the arrows are beyond you. The situation is beyond you. Better go your way. It's not safe for you to return. Verse 23. And as for the matter with which you and I have spoken of, indeed, the Lord be between you and me forever. So he's saying as far as the oath that they've sworn to each other, the contract, the agreement they made with each other for David to look out for Jonathan and his uh, descendants after him because he knows um, that David is going to rise to prominence. He believes that maybe he's heard the prophecy of Samuel. Maybe he's um, he's just aware that David is loved by um, by um, 
everyone in the in in their society except the, their his father. Whatever the case may be, he knows that David is determined. For, big things are deter- determined for David, um, and that he wants him to look out for his descendants. And he's saying that I think that's the contract that he's referring to, that they've agreed to the oath that he made David swear, or the vow that David entered into with him. Vow is the word they use, and if you think of vows, like I said, soulmates, vows, vows go with marriage. It it's describing without saying it the closeness of their relationship. Verse twenty four. Then David hid in the field, and when the new moon had come, the king sat down to eat the feast. So now it's showtime. The new moon has arrived and the feast time has come. Verse 25, now the king sat on his seat as at other times on a seat by the wall. And Jonathan arose and Abner sat by Saul's side, but David's place was empty. So Abner is sort of the commander of the army and um, the king is there at the feast and, um, and Jonathan is there, um, but David is missing. David's place is empty. Verse 26, nevertheless, Saul did not say anything that day, for he thought something has happened to him. He's unclean. Surely he is unclean. So he's assuming that David's been up to dirt, up to no good, something that's made him unclean, ritually unclean, um, so that he can't eat the feast. And we've read about what makes you ritually unclean. Lots of different things can make you ritually unclean, um, religiously, um, whether it's you've are a woman and you are on your period, that makes you unclean. You can't partake in certain things. Um, If you're a male and you ejaculate um, and you come in contact with that ejaculate, uh, you're unclean. If someone else comes in contact with your ejaculate or you come in contact with someone else's ejaculate, it makes you unclean. So lots of different things sexually can make you unclean. And that seems to be what he thinks has happened to David. He's been up to something. He's unclean, and that's how come he can't make it there. Verse 27, and it happened the next day, the second day of the month, that David's place was empty. And Saul said to Jonathan, his son, why has the son of Jesse not come to eat, either yesterday or today? So um, Saul has noticed that David's not there, and he's questioning his son Jonathan about why David is, is missing. Verse 28, so Jonathan answered Saul, David earnestly asked permission of me to go to Bethlehem. So Jonathan is using the line that David fed him that um, David's not there because he wanted to go to Bethlehem, his hometown, um, for the family feast. He didn't even get to mention the family feast part yet. Verse 29, he said, and he said, please let me go for our family has a sacrifice in the city and my brother has commanded me to be there. And now if I found favor in your eyes, please let me get away and see my brothers. Therefore, he has not come to the king's table. So Jonathan didn't doesn't realize it be well, Jonathan's repeated the same thing David told him to to um to use that excuse and see how his father reacts. Now the problem with using that excuse like that is just like with a lot of people, you can catch them in a lie when they have a story already together. Um when you ask somebody something suddenly and they already have a story prepared for you a lot of times they're just lying. So in when him having that whole story laid out about what David said and going to be with the family and all of that stuff, it almost certainly signified to Saul that his son is lying to him. Verse 30, then Saul's anger was aroused against Jonathan and he said to him, 
you son of a perverse, rebellious woman. Do I not know that you've chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? So what he's calling him is an SOB, basically, um, in ancient terms. And he's he's picked up on the fact that his son is lying to him and he's lying to him to protect David. And notice what he also says to his own shame that implies again that he knows the nature of their relationship, the fact that they're soulmates. They're more than just buddies. They're more than just friends. They have a deep love for each other, just like it, like we read in the previous chapters and in this one. And his father knows it and his father finds it disgusting. And he's saying it's shameful and it's shameful that he would choose uh, some man that he's in love with over his own father. So he's not buying the whole David's not here because he wanted to visit his family story at all. Verse 31, and he's gone off on his son for even trying him with that story. Verse 31, for as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, you shall not be established, nor your kingdom. Now, therefore, send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. So Saul is ticked off at the fact that David's not there and his Saul, his son has helped cover up for him and even to the point where he's willing to lie to him and help him escape the um, uh, death penalty that Saul's trying to carry out on him. So he's demanding that his son, Jonathan, produce David immediately. Verse 32, and Jonathan, and he's telling him that David's gonna, with David being alive, it's gonna prevent him from ever being reigning over the kingdom. So Saul is clearly linking David to the prophecy that Samuel gave him that someone has already been chosen by the Lord and Lord here is being translated from the name Jehovah just you know as a footnote um so you know um um so he's he's already put it together that David is the one who has been chosen as his replacement and he's telling Jonathan Jonathan's not going to get to be king he's not going to get to reign over the kingdom because David as long as David is alive because He's again, he's picked up on the fact that David is the one chosen as his successor. Verse 32, and Jonathan answered Saul, his father, and said to him, why should he be killed? What has he done? So Jonathan is defending his friend, his brother-in-law, David, and asking uh, his father, Saul, the king, what's David's offense? What has he done? Why do you want to kill him? Verse 33, then Saul cast a spear at him to kill him by which Jonathan knew that it was determined by his father to kill David. So that tossing the spear at him, just like throwing a javelin, is the same thing he tried to do to kill David a couple of times before. Now he's even trying to kill his own son because his son has sided with his enemy. Uh, so in doing that, that signified to Jonathan, well, David was telling the truth. David was right. His father does hate him and is trying to kill him. Verse 34, so Jonathan arose from the table in fierce anger and ate no food the second day of the month, for he was grieved for David because his father had treated him shamefully. So Jonathan is all in on David's side and not uh, on the side of his own father, Saul, and he considers it shameful how he's treating him, which actually it is. David was done has done nothing but serve him faithfully, whether it was when he was in uh, being distressed by uh, different spirits bothering him uh, and playing music for him, or whether it was in service to the kingdom in the military in killing Goliath, and the one that was terrorizing the nation. Um, David has done up until this point 
um, very honorably for the kingdom and for the king. And so for him to repay evil for that good is not a good thing. Verse 35, and so it was in the morning that Jonathan went out into the field at the time appointed with David and a little and a little lad was with him. So now John, it's the third day, basically. Yeah, I guess this would be the third day since um, they made the agreement and he's told David where to stand and the whole thing with arrows um, and the sign to look for. So he's gone out there with the lad for his arrow, his arrow bear, his arrow fetcher. Verse 36, then he said to his lad, now run, find the arrows which I shoot. As the lad ran, he shot an arrow beyond him. So he's setting it up for the signal that he gave David, that he agreed with David about the arrows and what he says when he hollers out to the boy fetching the, the arrows, whether to know how to know whether it's safe to come back or how to know if you better get moving because it's not safe for you to return. Verse 37, when the lad had come to the place where the arrow was shot, I'm sorry, where the arrow was, which Jonathan had shot, Jonathan cried out after the lad and said, is not the arrow beyond you? So it's the second message, the latter message that Jonathan told David to look out for. If it's, the situation is beyond you, that means don't come back, run for your life. Um, so he shouted out that the arrows are beyond you to the lad, but he shouted out to the boy so that David could hear it. Uh, presumably because David's in the spot where he was supposed to be, where they'd agreed for him to be when the message comes. Verse 38, and Jonathan cried out after the lad, make haste, hurry, do not delay. So Jonathan's lad gathered up the arrows and came back to his master. So since David didn't gather up the arrows and come back, he, it's, it's, he knows it's not safe for him to return. He knows that the message that uh, Jonathan shouted about the arrows being beyond him was not for the arrow fetching boy. It's for David to know, get moving, don't stick around. It's not safe to come back. So um, the boy returned with the arrows to Jonathan. Verse 39, but the lad did not know anything. Only Jonathan and David knew of the matter. So the message was secret even though he shouted it out. So if anyone else heard it besides the boy fetching the arrows, anyone hearing it would, again, would think that it's just a message that Jonathan is shouting out to the boy about the arrows that he shot. When in actuality, it was for David to hear. Verse 40, then Jonathan gave his weapons to his lad and said to him, go carry them to the city. So um, the message is complete. David knows uh, what's up and Jonathan is given the arrows um, uh, back to the, uh, giving them to the boy to take back to the city. Verse 41, as soon as the lad had gone, David arose from a place toward the south, fell on his face to the ground and bowed down three times. And they kissed each other and they kissed one another and they wept together, but David more so. So it's a tearful goodbye they're preparing, preparing for. And notice it says kissing, that they kissed one another. So it's not just one kissing the other, they're kissing each other. They're soulmates kissing each other goodbye. Verse 42, then Jonathan, and it says David more so. So David, no matter how valiant you may think of him because of the David and Goliath thing or the fact that he's going to be King David at some point, uh, he's the one really broken up and torn up crying and um, uh, about what's going on. Not that Jonathan isn't also, but David is the one really torn up over the situation. Verse 42, 
Then Jonathan said, The David, go in peace, since we both sworn in the name of the Lord, saying, May the Lord be between you and me, and between your descendants and my descendants forever. So he arose and departed, and Jonathan went into the city. So they had their tearful kissing, kisses goodbye, and um, gone their separate ways with the um, agreement that God's going to be between them, even though they're not together anymore, and also their descendants from then on, to look out for each other and their descendants from then on after that. And they said their goodbyes, and Jonathan went his way, and David went his way. So that was the last verse in this chapter. So as always, I appreciate you reading along with me and hope it's a blessing for you and that you'll join me for the Naked Truth again. I love you and I'll see you next time. God bless you and peace be with you.